Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 5, 1-10 Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went upon a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second reading is over the page in Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Matthew 7, 24 to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Thank you very much, Tim, for reading for us, and good morning, everyone. Very good to see you here. I'm aware there are a number of visitors in the building, um, and so if we haven't met, my name's Chris Tufnell. I'm one of the ministers here, um, and I'm going to be taking us through the second of those two readings. It would be great if you could keep your Bibles open there. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, page 972, if you've lost it, um, and uh, we'll be looking at that together. As we come to do that, it's always good that we pray and ask the Lord for help. So let me lead us as we do that together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great truth that your word is living and it is sure. And we pray this morning as we gather around your word and look at it together that you would be doing your work in each of us. Please search out the hidden corners of our hearts and apply your word even there. And we ask that as we leave this morning, we will each have been witnesses to the power of your word for the glory of your name. Amen. Well, buying a home is a big deal. I've spoken with a number of people recently who are in the process of buying a home. In fact, even as I took my son over to the group over there, I was chatting with someone who's uh, just finishing trying to buy a home. And it's something that people think about very carefully, isn't it? I mean, 
Of course it is. For those who are lucky enough to ever own their own home, it will almost certainly be the biggest investment they'll ever make, and they'll spend much of their lives in that home. And so buying a house is something you think about very carefully. One thing people always do when they're buying a house is to have a survey done, not least of all to check that the foundations of the house are firm and reliable. There isn't any subsidence going on or anything like that. You'd be crazy not to do that. You'd never consider investing huge sums of money in a house without first checking that the foundations are good. But how many of us stop to consider the foundations on which we build our whole lives and invest our eternities? This morning, we're looking at these final words of the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus ends with a penetrating challenge to inspect the foundations on which we're building our whole lives. His point in these verses is that while we have all heard what he's said, there are only two kinds of hearers. There are those who hear and do what he says, and there are those who hear and don't. Take a look down at verse 24. Verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then on to verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. There are those who hear and do, and those who hear and don't. Jesus says those who hear and do are wise, those who hear and don't are foolish. Those who hear and do are building on the rock, a firm foundation. Those who hear and don't are building on the sand, which is no foundation. For the last two years, um, as I've been walking to work each day, I, um, I work over in the church centre, that's where my study is, I walk down the hill and my commute takes me uh, past a small housing development, just four houses, that they've, they've taken quite a while to go up actually, but they're, they're nearly finished now. And as I've walked day by day, I've seen these houses going through the various stages of development and building. And first there was the foundation stage, then I started seeing the walls go up slowly day by day, the floors started to go in, the wooden timber roof, then the tiles went on, the windows and the doors went in, all the fixtures and fittings, they've just stopped uh, putting down the uh, turf at the front now, so it's all looking very picture postcard and lovely. Um, But notice which part of the build Jesus is focusing on in these verses. It's the foundation stage. You see, a house might look great, but Jesus is concerned about what it's built on. If you'd gone for Sunday lunch at the foolish man's house, it might have looked great. In fact, it might have looked a whole lot better than the wise man's house. But Jesus' concern isn't how good the house looks, it's what it's built on. If I can put it like this, he's not giving tips on interior design, but on structural engineering. What's it built on? The point is, someone might have a very Christian-looking life, one that ticks all the boxes and appears very impressive. But Jesus is concerned with something deeper. Just as the foundations of a house are invisible, so are the foundations that Jesus is concerned about here. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' focus isn't on what we do and don't do so much as why we do or don't do it. His interest is at the foundational level of our hearts and motivations. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, 
It's not enough simply not to murder, but we mustn't harbor anger either. It's not enough not to commit adultery, but we mustn't lust with our eyes. It's not enough to just not break an oath, but we should be people of such deep integrity that people don't really feel the need to ask us for one in the first place. It's not enough to avoid being disproportionate in our application of justice, but we must be merciful turning the other cheek. It's not enough to love our friends, but our love should be so deep that it overflows towards our enemies as well. It's not enough to give generously or pray diligently, but we must do those things secretly because we're seeking the approval of our Father in heaven, not the favor of other people. You see, consistently, Jesus' teaching is for us not to be building impressive lives above the surface, but to be attentive to the subterranean condition of our hearts and motivations, what's happening beneath the surface. And that's why Jesus began this sermon with the Beatitudes, which we heard read earlier, the first of those readings. And who in the Beatitudes are those who are blessed? It is those with a particular condition of heart, isn't it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. The meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. The blessed are not those with impressive exterior lives, but who are humble of heart, mourning over their sin, hungry for righteousness. And this is why the close of Jesus' sermon comes with such searching power. As I hear Jesus' challenge, I know it falls squarely at my feet because I'm the only person able to inspect the foundations on which I'm building, the only person who can really know the subterranean condition of my heart. No one else can look at your life and by doing so, know the condition of your heart. You see, there are different versions of Christianity about, but only one that is based on Jesus' words. So really, there is only one true version of Christianity, and that is that which is based on Jesus' words. Some of those other versions, though, say that the blessed life can be identified by things that are entirely above the surface, while Jesus says, no, that's not the case. There are a wide variety of voices telling us what we should believe and think about the world, but the question is, which voice am I listening to? It's the same question as, where am I building my house? We're all building somewhere. We're all listening to a certain voice or voices. But Jesus challenges us to build our lives on his words. Look at verse 24 again. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's why Jesus said repeatedly in chapter 5, maybe you'll remember this from chapter 5, he said, You have heard that it was said, dot, 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 fill in the blank, do not murder, do not not commit adultery. But I tell you, dot, 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 don't even be angry, don't lust. He keeps saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, which voice am I listening to? Where am I building my house, here or here? On the words of others or the words of Jesus? Some people say or lead us to believe that the blessed life is one where I have all sorts of treasures on earth, money, cars, bikes, homes, clothes, gadgets. But Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
which voice will I listen to? Others would tell us that the blessed life is one where I work to receive the approval of others, my colleagues, my family, my friends. If they approve of me, if I receive their affirmation, then I'm truly blessed. But Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Whose words will I build my life on? Jesus' main critique in the Sermon on the Mount is that there are some voices telling us that the blessed life can be identified entirely by external things. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, etc. But he's telling us that we need to go deeper to inspect the condition of our hearts and motivations. He says that the wise person hears his words above all others and puts his words into practice. And the thing is, whether or not we do so is below the surface. It can't be seen. But I do need to slightly roll back on something I've just said, I think. A few minutes ago, I said, no one else can look at your life and by doing so, see the condition of your heart. But of course, there is a connection between the two, isn't there? Our lives and our hearts. And so we may look at our lives and receive from that an indication of what's going on beneath the surface in our hearts. The thing is that the link between the two can be so inconclusive because I could be doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Nonetheless, saying that Jesus' primary concern is the foundational condition of our hearts doesn't mean that hearing and doing is entirely invisible. It starts at the level of the heart, but it doesn't stop there. It will produce a change in my behavior. So feeling convicted in church on a Sunday morning isn't the same as being obedient on a Monday morning. If I'm stirred or affected by a sermon or by reading the Bible, that doesn't mean I'm someone who hears and does. I might just as easily turn out to be someone who hears and doesn't. Even the foolish man heard Jesus' words, and all I have to do to be like him is nothing. Obedience to Jesus starts at the level of the heart, but it doesn't stop there. And so one of the ways to inspect our hearts, to perform a kind of survey of what's going on beneath the surface, is to look at the way that I'm living. If the way I'm living looks good, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that my heart is healthy. But if my life isn't matching up with how Jesus says I should live, it's a telltale sign that there's a problem with my heart. Let me give some examples. Jesus says we shouldn't be angry with each other. So... If I'm unwilling to seek reconciliation and forgiveness after a falling out with my spouse, am I really one of whom Jesus could say, blessed are the peacemakers? If I find myself turning the pages of the newspaper, speaking bitterly to anyone who will listen about the sins of others, I must wonder if I'm really mourning over my sin, if I'm really one who is poor in spirit. Because those who see their own sin don't despise others when they see it in them. If you're someone who always has to have the last word in an argument, do you have the meekness of heart that should mean you can turn the other cheek? If your head always turns when someone pretty walks by, are you one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father. And so... If you never pray privately, that should drive you to look beneath the surface and ask yourself, 
do I really know the Father? Now, searching questions like that leave you feeling, gosh, what am I doing? I don't know that I'm obeying Jesus at all. And in my more honest moments, that's my own reaction as I look at my life. Then don't be discouraged this morning. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But then consider, as we all should, how we might change to live for him. Uh, something I've done at times and which I might, um, a practice I might pick up again in response to looking at these verses this week is to make my quiet time on Monday morning a reflection on the sermon that I heard the previous day to give myself time to seriously consider and respond to God's word. Okay, yesterday I heard God, God's word preached. How am I going to act in response to what I heard? Uh, perhaps some of you would find that a helpful practice. When you receive a survey back from the house, a house that you're considering buying. And now, of course, you look at the foundations, but you'll also engage with the whole survey, won't you? To see whether what's above the ground is in good condition. In the same way, a life built on the words of Jesus starts at the level of the heart, but it doesn't end there. Once the foundations are in place, it also matters to see above the surface what's going on in my life. There are two kinds of hearers, those who hear and do, and those who hear and don't. Secondly, Jesus says that there are two, kind, uh, two outcomes. Uh, look down at verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, that is the house of the wise man. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. And verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the foolish man's house, and it fell with a great crash. It's worth being clear that the storm Jesus describes in these verses, the rain, the streams, the, the winds, it's not a reference to the storms of life, the difficulties that we face, but rather it's a reference to the final judgment when Jesus will return to wrap up the world as we know it and to put an end to all the evil that spoils his world. If you're in any doubt about that, it's very clear from the verses that come immediately before these ones. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at verses 13 and 14, at the wide gate that leads to destruction and the narrow gate that leads to life. Then last week, we saw Jesus uh, say in verse 21, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and he goes on. The point is that he's talking about that day when everyone will arrive at either eternal life or eternal destruction. And here in verses 25 and 27, Jesus says that for both men, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house because he's speaking of a universal judgment that everyone will one day face. For both the wise man and the foolish man, the judgment day will come. But there are two very different outcomes. One stands, the other falls with a great crash. And that should be both an encouragement and a warning to us. An encouragement because it means if we are those who are seeking to hear and do, those who are seeking to hear God's words and put them into practice, well then we probably won't have treasure on earth. We probably won't enjoy the approval of many people. And we will have had to do the hard and often um, unpleasant work of seeking 
below the surface to be fully obedient to Jesus, including at the level of our hearts. But that lifestyle will one day prove to have been an excellent choice and an outstanding investment. Be encouraged if you're seeking to live in light of Jesus' teaching that that is wise. And one day the wisdom of that will be clear for everyone to see. But it's also a warning to us. The foolish man who hears and doesn't will face the same judgment and his house will fall. And Jesus says at the end of verse 27, it will fall with a great crash. He's describing the full and final failure of that way of living, the cost of listening to the wrong voices and building our lives on the wrong words. I've never experienced an earthquake. I guess that most of us in the room probably haven't. Uh, But we've probably all seen those videos that you see on the news of the moment an earthquake strikes, right? Maybe it's a CCTV video of some people in a supermarket and they're just taking things off the shelves and then suddenly it all starts shaking and everything comes off the shelves. Um, Or people are walking along the street and um, suddenly they're stumbling over, kind of running away from buildings and falling masonry. Um, Or there are people in their office suddenly trying to take shelter under their desk. And while I've never experienced that, I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to work out that that must be a terrifying moment. When those people walked into work that morning or into the supermarket, I bet they won't have thought for a moment about the quality of the foundations of the building they were in. But the moment the earthquake struck, well, that really began to matter very much. At that point, you really care whether the builders did their job right. But of course, also at that moment, it's far too late if they didn't. Jesus warns us that the day of judgment will come And we'd better make sure long before it does that we're building on the rock. The question is whether or not we'll listen to his warning. On that day, we'll either be glad we did or we'll wish we had. I think it's fair to say that on the other side of Judgment Day, there'll be more people saved than we think and fewer. By that, I mean that there'll be some people we'll be surprised to see in the new creation. We'll think, huh, really? They didn't seem to be particularly living a very impressive life. But despite their untidy lives, they will have been those who reached out to Jesus in humble faith. They were the poor in spirit who mourned over their sin and asked him for forgiveness. There'll be more than we expected. But there'll also be fewer because there'll be people that we expected to see there who are not. And we'll say to Jesus, but Jesus, they seemed so on it in the Christian life. They were there every Sunday. And Jesus will reply, I know, it's so sad. But they never really knew me. It was all above the surface. Look back to verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And on that day, it will give him no pleasure to send away those he came to save. There are two kinds of hearers, says Jesus, those who hear and do and those who hear and don't. And there are two outcomes. One stood, the other fell with a great crash. And that's where he ends his sermon. 
But before we do the same, take a moment to look at the response of the crowd that we see in verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. There was something about the teaching of Jesus that they saw was different from everything they were hearing from others. Their teachers told them to do this, do that, tick this box, live a tidy life, look good. But Jesus said, no, 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 that's all noise, that's all noise. What's going on at the heart? What's going on in your motivations? Let's start there. And I think we're drawn to teaching like that because as challenging as it is, don't we just know deep down really there's something so right about that? That a good and blessed life must come from something deeper than just doing the right things? That the problem with me is far more than just my behavior? That God must have greater ambitions for my life than just to make it look tidy? And so as Jesus spoke on that mountainside, his words sailed and soared above the din of competing voices, seizing his hearers and commanding their allegiance. They were amazed at his teaching, one with authority. But alone, that's not enough. I wonder for how many of that crowd did their amazement turn into obedience? I wonder the same for this crowd here this morning. Jesus says there are two kinds of hearers, those who hear and do, and those who hear and don't. We each must ask, which am I? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the teaching of your son, the Lord Jesus, that stands high above all the other voices that we hear in the world. We thank you for those words that we have heard this morning and that challenge to be those who put his words into practice. And I pray for anyone here this morning who is feeling very convicted of their own sin, that you would comfort them with the knowledge that it is those who are poor in spirit who are blessed. Pray for those who feel completely untouched by the words of Jesus, that they would see the beauty of a king who calls for more than just on the surface of it obedience, but who wants their hearts and their affections and allegiance. And we pray that one way or another, you would teach all of us to be those who hear the words of Jesus and respond in faithful obedience. For the glory of your name, amen.